The Word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the Word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our Saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's Word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to bromleytownchurch.com. In each heart, Lord, do it this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Right, so we're week two into Daniel, Agent of Change. I've titled this message, Home is Where the Heart Is. It's a bit of a a corny name, I know, but maybe it'll stick in your brain a bit more uh, if it it rolls off the tongue. But I want to talk about uh, what was taking place for Daniel and his friends uh, during this this season in the history of Israel. And uh, what they were experiencing was exile. Now, um, this is a hot topic, um, probably not that word, but the thought of moving house in my home at the moment, because there are boxes around our house, um, a few, probably not as much as we need, um, uh, because we're beginning to pack. Uh, We are moving house in a couple of weeks' time, and uh, there's quite a lot to do. It's one of those moments where you're thankful that we've only got a two-bedroom flat, because it's not going to take us uh, a whole month. Uh, you guys that have got bigger houses, it takes a lot longer to pack everything. And we're only five years into marriage come the summer, so it means we haven't uh, uh, gathered as much stuff as perhaps we could have done as well, thankfully. We've still got plenty of stuff, um, plenty of stuff we don't really need, I think, anyway. Kizzy has <laughs> differing opinions. But there's stuff that, that we're packing up, we're moving out. And actually, for us, this thought of where we're going is a little bit still up in the air. Um, As some of you know, we're moving on um, in July, and uh, we don't know where we're going to be living, really, come September. We've got some steps that we're taking. My parents are grateful, or we're grateful to them, uh, because we're moving in. We're moving in. We're going back home. I don't know when you think, when you think about home for you. I don't actually think of my parents' current house, because I've never lived there before. Um, But when you think of home, what do you think of? Do you think of a particular house from childhood? Is it the place where you grew up? Is it the place where you uh, remember uh, summer days in the garden? Or um, for some of you, perhaps many of you, when you think of home, you don't think of the United Kingdom at all. You may think of uh, the place where you were born. You may think about the place where you grew up. You may think about the place where your your heritage is um, as well. Uh, That may be where home is for you. Now, the story of Daniel is a story of uh, Israel being in exile. They have uh, been taken from the city of Jerusalem, um, and uh, Daniel and his friends were part of this first wave that Pastor Jonathan talked about last week. uh, But what I want to kind of touch on is how the story of exile is a story that is repeated a number of times throughout Scripture. In fact, I go far as to say that the story of exile is a story about uh, the human condition. So Daniel and his friends were taken captive. They were brought from Jerusalem. They left their home. They left their people. Um, They left their families. And they also left, again, as Jonathan said last week, they left the place where God dwelt. God uh, was in the temple. 
uh, in the Ark of the Covenant. That's where his presence was. And they were taken from that place um, into the city of Babylon. Now, um, the thing that I want to kind of touch on is how um, for each and every one of us, we've been taken um, from God's presence. It's a pattern throughout the scriptures for Israel. And the reason why the people are exiled is because they didn't do what God had commanded them to do. Um, God told the people of Israel that they were his special chosen people. He told them that uh, they were to live set apart. That He told them they were to live differently from the other nations. He told them that you are my people and I am your God. But the people of Israel failed to hold to the conditions of the covenant. And what happened to Israel was even kind of spoken about by Moses in Deuteronomy. If you do not do what the Lord has told you to do, you will uh, be sent from this nation. You will be exiled. And that's what took place for them. And it's a pattern, I believe, for every nation. When you disregard God, when you neglect to acknowledge God, when you forget the great things that God has done for you, that leads you into separation from God. The result of rejecting God is sin, and sin leads to destruction. Sin leads to death, and therefore sin leads to exile. Exile, I believe, is the human condition. In Isaiah 59.2 it says, But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Mankind's exile began in the fall. Adam and Eve sought knowledge for themselves and they failed to acknowledge God. That led to sin. That led to exile. That meant that they were banished from the garden. They were separated from God and they were removed from their perfect dwelling place. The garden was created for man to dwell in with God and sin caused mankind to be separated, banished from the garden, sent from God's presence. The garden, of course, was a, a physical place, but it was the place where God dwelt with them. And sin meant that uh, Adam and Eve were sent from God's presence. So the story uh, was repeated again for the people of Israel, because after their 400 years in Egypt, God brought them through the desert to the promised land, a new place, a place where the, the people of Israel were to be an example to the other nations. But in that place, they weren't able to keep the conditions. They weren't able to do what God desired of them. They were exiled from uh, Jerusalem after many, many years and many, many examples and, and many, many encouragements to say, come back to me, come back to me. It got to the place where the people of Israel were sent. We're back in and I need the screws. doesn't really seem to be working. Okay. But, this is the point, throughout the whole of Scripture, what you see, what you see is that God's desire for each and every one of us is that we come home to him. 
throughout the whole Bible. This is God's rescue plan, is that we come back to him. That the separation is ended, but we come close to him. And God was even using the exile to draw Israel back to himself, even in that moment. And it may have taken a long period of time, but you see, God's heart is always to bring us home. You see the story of the prodigal son, the parable that Jesus told. Son, come home, come back to the father. You see in the parable of of the the wedding feast and the banquet, the invitation is to the, the lowly, the poor, the hurting, the broken, to come into God's presence, to come and be in his house. You see, even in the example of how Jesus lived his life, that he went to eat into the home of the sinner. He came to seek and to save the lost. God desires communion with each and every one of us. He created you for intimacy with him. That same intimacy that Adam would have known in the garden is what he desires with each and every one of us. Sin caused a separation. And Jesus came that we may come home to God. The story of the Bible is one of God rescuing us, of one of God bringing us home, drawing us back to himself, uh, and the only pathway, the only way back to God is through Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I am the way. None can come to the Father except through me. You know, there's something about homes. Um, Everyone would love a great home, right? Normally, uh, they require work. I know a few people who are working hard on their homes even now um, to try and make them that much more homely. There was that period where home improvement television programs were on every hour of the day on multiple channels because it's something that is within us to, to make our homes better, to try and make our homes feel more like home which is strange. I don't know quite how that works. Um, But the desire, I mean, the homes are built for security, for comfort, to to feel like you're in your own space. And people go to such great strengths, uh, lengths, to try and find a home that brings that. You think of the people that flee from war-torn countries or flee from broken situations, desperate to find a home, desperate to find a place where they can belong, desperate to find a place that's safe for them. You think of the people that, that choose to swim across channels or to jump into to flimsy dinghies just to try and find a place where they can be secure, a home for them. They do whatever it takes. But what I believe scripture tells us is that our true home is a home where we're with God. It's actually about relationship with God. That is the home that we each need. Jesus said, abide in me, and I in you. The cross ended the separation. It became the bridge. It becomes the way home for each and every one of us. And when we cross that bridge, when we come via Jesus, and we come to the Father, It's then that we gain close communion with God. It's then that we can encounter God's love, God's peace, 
God's grace. It's then that you find the place where you truly belong. A place to be, a place to rest. You know, it almost doesn't matter where you are in the world, but if you've made your home with Jesus, you can be strengthened. If you've made your home with Jesus, you can experience his love, his mercy, his grace. In spite of whatever is taking place in your life right now, in spite of what it's like in the workplace, or what you're enduring, or what you're walking through, make your home with Jesus, and he will give you all that you need. And, you know, speaking to believers in, in Jesus' prayer in John 17, he says this, they, that's us, are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. And there's something that we need to try and grapple with or wrap our heads around. Because all creation was exiled. All creation is separated from God because of sin. And we live in a world that is corrupt, that is broken, that is full of evil, full of injustice, full of hate and pain and destruction. And the only way home is through Jesus. But the true home is not here on earth. The eventual home is with him in heaven. Scripture tells us that God is going to create a new heavens and a new earth and where we will dwell with God forever. So there's this kind of, this, this kind of step that we take. As we uh, put our trust in Jesus, we find uh, a place to be with him. We can encounter God's presence here in this world. But we're passing through this place. We're not of the world. We remain aliens even in this world. We remain exiles and strangers to this world. But we have a home in Jesus. Daniel, his friends, they were strangers in Babylon. Far from home. But what becomes abundantly clear as you read his story is that he he maintained communion with God even in this separate, dark, broken city and nation. So I want to touch a little bit on, on Babylon. I know that Pastor Jonathan mentioned this a little bit last week about what, what this, this kind of city uh, represented. You know, I said earlier, whenever people fail to acknowledge God, when people disregard God, it leads a pathway to sin. It leads a pathway to destruction. It leads a pathway to injustice, to inequality. And Babylon kind of represents that, not in terms of just how it was the city, but throughout the whole of Scripture. In disregarding God, in essence, what you are doing is you begin to elevate yourselves and declare, we know better than God. It's what happened in the fall for Adam and Eve, and it's what happened in the first kind of encounter we have in Scripture with Babylon. Jonathan mentioned last week about the story of the Tower of Babel you find in in Genesis, about how the people built up, they elevated themselves to this place. They said, we don't need God. And uh, that led to destruction. That led to separation. That led to the people being scattered. Babylon is like a, a poster boy city, It's an icon throughout the whole of Scripture, a representation of 
humans' corporate rebellion against God. We don't need God. We don't want God. And you read throughout that this was an actual place, but in dreams and in uh, kind of visions throughout Scripture, even into the book of Revelation, Babylon is described um, as a, a representation of rebellion against God. And this is the city that Daniel is living in. He finds himself in. It's a culture that dishonors God. It's a, it's a nation given over to sin. And even the king that uh, is over that city and nation, he considers himself to be greater than the gods or in to be a god. And uh, something we encounter time and time again throughout the, the, the first six chapters of Daniel um, is, is this kind of uh, this place where the king is raising themselves up. And there's a number of kings in there, and it happens time and time again. They are above, they consider themselves above God. And the nation of Babylon is one that uses injustice and, uh, and uh, kind of extreme forms of kind of... Uh, uh, justice system where people are killed in a moment, you know, that the king can wake up grumpy and heads are going to roll. This is the kind of uh, nation that Babylon is. And, uh, and the king dominates and has great power. And uh, in chapter 1, we find out that the king's plan for, for Daniel and his friends, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, is to indoctrinate them to bring them into the culture. It's to cause them to you know, assimilate uh, into the Babylonian lifestyle, into the culture, into the way of life, the system of how, uh, how people live in that city. You should believe what we believe. You should worship how we worship and whom we worship. You should live how we live. And I want to say something this morning um, about this, about um, kind of like mindsets and systems and cultures, because Satan operates within them to draw us out of God's presence. Satan operates in world systems, uh, in, to, in mindsets, in doing things how everyone else does it, and that leads us away from God. And that's, you know, Satan's desire for, for everyone here is that you are separated from God that you don't know the goodness and the love and the mercy of God. So whether it's uh, cultural things or whether it's family tradition or even religion or patterns of behavior uh, that is happening around us, if you just kind of go with the flow of how uh, the system that even we live in today, if you go with the flow with how people live their lives, that will lead you into separation from God. Paul writes in Romans 12, to do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Even after salvation, the pressure of a system around us can hold us back from surrendering to God, from giving our all to God. It may not be that you're fully separated, but you can't give all of yourself what would happen to the world around you? What impact would that have to your family? What impact would that have to, uh, you know, just your day-to-day uh, -day lives? The world is moving in a certain direction. Culture is going in a certain direction. Are you going to go against the grain? Over time, cultures shift. 
mindsets and beliefs shift. And I believe that we are seeing great shifts in the United Kingdom today, and they're shifts against what the Word says. What the Word says about who we are as God's children. Who we are and our identity in Christ. We live in a system today where to live a biblical lifestyle, to live according to the word, to be Jesus followers that live according to this word is under pressure. If you just listen to what culture says or dictates, the mindset of the people, you'll be seeking for your security in wealth. You'll be seeking for your security in status or in power. If you listen to uh, the way uh, the media is speaking or culture is dictating, the validity or the, the truth in the word is under pressure, under threat. The value of the Bible is being decreased and decreased. I saw an article that um, uh, a men's magazine, GQ, did the 20 most overrated books, and they put the Bible as one of those books. You know, even if you don't believe it, the historical uh, impact that the Bible has had upon the world. But again, you know, it will be devalued. It will be pushed down. If you go with the flow of society, if you go with the flow, not only is the word under scrutiny more and more, the, the people say you can't trust that. You can't, surely can't believe that to be true. Culture also will speak about the way that we live right and wrong, and seek to, to dictate on, on what, is, what is good and what is evil, and they flip it around. You know, culture says to, to young people, you can't stay pure. Culture says to young people, move in together. Don't wait to get married. You know, I could, I could go on and on and on of what culture is dictating and saying to us in the world today. And living as a believer, perhaps particularly as a young person, is becoming tougher. It's becoming harder. Living as a Jesus follower can be difficult. You have to fight against the grain. You live in direct opposition to the flow of society. Has anyone here ever swam in a river? Perhaps a river that has a current, and you know it's got a current. And even if you just swim out into the river and you look back at where you left your stuff, you find yourself kind of like, oh, I'm way down here. I've got to try and get back. If you swim against the current, against the flow, you've got to work doubly, doubly hard. <laughs> Do you know what I like? I like to just float with the current. It's very easy. <laughs> Suddenly you feel like, oh, I'm a pretty good swimmer. It's much like that for us as believers. There is a current. There is a flow. It's going in a direction. And currents drag and they pull. And our mindsets, our pattern, um, the way we live our lives is being pushed in a direction. But to live as a Jesus follower, you've got to press against that direction. This was the situation of Daniel. And it can be tiring. It can be a struggle. But unless we become intentional about our lifestyle, unless we recognize at times, you know, this here is not my home. 
My home is in heaven. I am passing through. You recognize that I'm living for something more. And I can live with God even in the midst of great trials. But I'm going to need God's help to do so. Now, last week, Jonathan used a phrase which I liked. It's become a point. Uh, He said this, Daniel is just like us. Now, I don't know about you, but when Jonathan said that last week, I listed in a moment about five reasons why I thought Daniel was not like me (laughs) at all. I thought, but Daniel, the Spirit of God was upon him. But Daniel, God spoke so clearly to him. It says that Daniel was a noble. So he had this kind of royal connection. That's not my background. I thought, you know, he was supremely wise and good looking. And he was given great position as well. And I thought, I mean, some more than others. But, <laughs> but this is not, this isn't me. I don't want to touch on something. Because Daniel was an Old Testament prophet. Daniel, um, he lived his life before Jesus came. Before the Spirit of God was poured out upon all flesh. In the Old Testament, God worked through individuals. He worked through specific men and women in different generations, and he used those prophets as examples to the people around them. Those people were like intermediaries. They, they stood in the place over the people. But because of Christ, today, the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon all flesh. I want to touch on some of these things. Because of the Holy Spirit, we can dream dreams and see uh, visions. Just as Daniel did. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. We can hear the voice of God. Scripture tells me that I have been adopted into God's family. Amen? I'm royalty. The Bible says that I am a royal priest. The Bible says that I am God's masterpiece. And that I have been seated with Christ in heavenly places. That is who I am. So yes, In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit worked through the few. And no doubt, Daniel was remarkable for his day. Now, the Spirit has been poured out on all flesh. So we do not discount ourselves. May we say Daniel is just like us. But Daniel did have the Holy Spirit working through him, and that is what we need. It's what he needed in living in his culture, living in Babylon in that time, in order to live a set-apart lifestyle, it's what we need today in the midst of our culture, in the midst of the world that we are walking through. We have to maintain the connection, the communion that Daniel had to God if we are to live in this world and to make a difference. The Spirit of God upon Daniel enabled him to build communion with God, even though he wasn't in the city of Jerusalem. Daniel wasn't where God was, but the Spirit of God was in him. Doesn't matter where we are in the world, the Spirit of God is in us. God is living in us. God abiding in us, we are abiding in him. 
In a culture like Babylon, a culture that has no regard for God, Daniel knew his connection to God was essential, vital. The most important part of his day was that time spent with God. If he did not spend that time with God, he would have been swept away with the current of the city and the nation that he was living in. The onslaught of darkness was coming against him. The pattern and behaviors of the world around him were kind of pressing against him. And world systems are the weapon that Satan uses, one of those weapons to keep us separated from God. But Daniel's heart connection, point four, heart connection was connected to God. His home is where his heart is. Is that, what, is that the phrase? <laughs> That's the one. The Spirit of God abiding in Daniel enabled him to keep pressing through. And, you know, like I said, he could have been anywhere. Whether he was in the lion's den or whether he was in the king's palace, he was abiding with God. And it's the same as believers. Whether we are in chains, whether we are in dungeons, whether we are in the darkest, most difficult nations to be a believer, whether we are in the places where it's illegal to be a follower of Christ, even to mention the name of Jesus. If you have your communion, if you have your connection, you're able to keep pressing on. I have a home in Jesus. My communion, my intimacy, my personal relationship with God enables me to live. Acts 17 says, for in him we live and move and have our being. How did Daniel maintain this connection? This isn't going to be rocket science, but there's two things I want to pick out in the story of Daniel. Number one, regular time spent with God. You find out, I think we've got a screen for it, Grace. Ah, daily communion. Now what you learn in scripture is that Daniel prays regularly. We'll be talking about this in the coming weeks, I'm sure. It says in Daniel 6.10, Now when Daniel learned about the decree that the decree had been published, this was a decree that you couldn't pray to any other god apart from uh, the king. He went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God, just as he had done before. His lifestyle was, I pray, three times a day. You see, like it's clear, this is what he does every day. And it's the same for us. We cannot survive. We cannot remain strong. We cannot endure the onslaught that is coming against us as believers unless we take that daily time to commune with God. We need to think about how we do that. You know, and, and whenever, whenever I read about Daniel and I hear the, this, this reminder three times a day, I'm like, God, help me. <laughs> help me. Because I know that I need that to keep my, my eyes fixed upon Jesus. It doesn't have to be three, it could be more, but maybe three is the bar, uh, the, the starting point. The second thing is that Daniel regulated what goes in. <laughs> what I'm talking about is that what we, uh, Jonathan touched on last week, about his decision to not eat from the king's table all the, uh, all the produce that was there. 
It says in Daniel 1, 8, Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now, food was particularly significant uh, within the Jewish culture because of so much in Scripture was written about this is what you can eat, this is what you can't eat. Now, praise God, we're not under those sorts of rules and regulations. You can eat pretty much anything. Food. Keep it to food. Um, but we are, but f- you know, food is significant. And it's simply this, what goes in, what you consume, consumes you. Now, I've been thinking about this, about how, uh, you know, a rounded human being, someone who's, like, mature, someone who's, you know, able to think beyond themselves, um, you'd say are probably less likely to be controlled by their, their appetites. Um, if you think of how we're different to animals, animals, their primary focus, they wake up, they're thinking about food and to reproduce. The two things that control. The two things that is their, 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 their focus. And uh, at times, that can be what consumes us. <laughs> And uh, certainly, I believe, the more that we separate ourselves from God, the more that your primary focus is, how, what am I going to eat, and how am I going to meet my own needs? How am I going to be pleasured? But God has called us to be more than animals. God has called us to be uh, like him, to be in the image of him. God is not controlled by uh, what he eats, God desires relationship. And perhaps, you know, as we mature, as we grow, as we become more well-rounded as as human beings, we're able to think beyond ourselves and to care for others and to love others, to look out for others. And certainly that's God's character. So just consider how how food plays that role uh, in that way. Food was a part of the process of, of bringing Daniel under the hold of the control of the Babylonian system. And Daniel knew that. What goes in matters. And we could just focus on food, but actually I want us to touch on many other things because the, uh, the media we look at and read, the things that we, we uh, enjoy, the, thing, the things that perhaps the flesh in us enjoys. Um, and if we just allow mindsets, as we allow opinion, as we allow ourselves to watch and to hear and to see things that are ungodly, what you consume will begin to consume you. We need to start to monitor more and more what is going in. And therefore, we consider, what are we choosing to put in? How necessary is it to keep putting the truth into us? How necessary it is to keep feeding on God's word? Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, in Matthew 4, 4. Certainly the flesh in us desires to, uh, to feed on many other things, and we need to choose to abstain. We need to choose to say, no, if I start gorging, if I start consuming that, it's going to take me out. 
I'm going to begin to get lost into the flow of the culture and the, the, uh, the system that I'm living in. Peter writes in 1 Peter 2, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Now, it's important to say this. Daniel chose, he made, he made choices. Food was where he drew the line. There are other things that he let, let go because they're obviously less important to him. He wore the clothes of the Babylonian people. He took even the name, the Babylonian name, that King Nebuchadnezzar gave to him. He worked in the midst of the system. He worked within the government. And this is the key point. He did not run away. You know, when we are against the stream and the current, it might be far easier just to get out of the river and go and get in a river that leaves you in a, in a good way. But we can't do that. God's not called us to, uh, to sell this place uh, to sell our homes and go and find a commune in the middle of nowhere and be in our own little culture, uh, monoculture, and, and let's live the right way. No, he's called us into the midst of the brokenness, right. into the midst right. of a broken world system to be salt and light. And this is about how we can be agents of change. Right. You can't be an agent of change if you're not there amidst the people. Right. Daniel was able to bring change because he was present. He didn't run away he didn't uh, deny this call that God had given him to be in the midst of the people, in the midst of the workings of the nation. And God used Daniel to shine a light into an evil, unjust, ungodly nation that ruled much of the world. Because he was there, because he was connected to God, because he maintained that communion with God and he regulated what was going in, he was able, in the right moment, in the right time, to uh, to give glory to God at key moments. You read through the book of Daniel, and my hope is that as we do this series that you go home at one point, maybe in one reading, sit down and read the book. It takes about an hour and a bit. It's not that long. Just, just read the stories. Let them wash over you. You read in Daniel 2 how God uses Daniel to interpret a dream of the king. And God is known as the revealer of mysteries. It was a time where Daniel's life and the life of his friends were under threat. If no one interpreted those dreams, they all would have died. God used Daniel to save not only his life, but even the lives of the astrologers and the whatever, all the, all the other wise people in the nation. In Daniel 3, the story of Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, I believe because they knew their God, because they communed with him, they would not succumb to the edict to bow down and worship the statue that had been built in the nation. They refused. Because they refused, they're thrown into the fiery furnace. I love this story. And when they are in the fire, who's with them? Jesus is with them in the fire. They were communing with him in the morning and they were communing with him in the fire. Later that day, God was revealed as the saviour, the mighty, the mighty one in that moment. He was revealed as higher, greater than every other god that was worshipped in that nation. In Daniel 6, when he's in the lion's den, God closes the mouths of the lions. Daniel's faith in the midst of that circumstance and King Darius 
he declares this. Surely, he says, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. God is being glorified by the, uh, by the leader of the nation. In exile, Daniel and his friends represented God, just as we do. Because they were connected to God, they heard God's voice. Mysteries were unraveled. They had strength to endure because they weren't bound by the system that they lived in, but they chose to honor God. God showed himself as faithful to those who are faithful to him. When in exile, when, uh, when we're not where we belong, when we're not in our true home, if we find our home in God, we trust God has a plan. God has a purpose. This situation I'm facing today is temporary. It's not my destination. It's not the end point. We're on a journey, and God's going to bring me home. And I love this about Daniel. It's because, yes, he was living in this city. He was being salt and light, but he had also great concerns about his nation. He was praying for his nation. In Daniel 9, 17 to 19, this is his prayer to God. This is in the midst of some crazy dreams and visions that he was having. This is his prayer. Just the last part. He says, Now, O God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. He's referring to the temple in Jerusalem. Give ear, O God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. I love the prayer because he's concerned about God's glory. Are you not concerned about God's glory in the United Kingdom? You're not concerned about how his name is being portrayed in our nation? What do we do? We cry out to God to reveal himself. We cry out to God to show mercy upon the United Kingdom, to show mercy on the, the nations of this world, to reveal himself as who he truly is to the people. Because we don't settle for the world system that we are in. We don't settle for the direction and the flow we stand against it and we cry out to God for change. And change comes through us. We need the band. It's God's purpose. It's God's plan that change comes through us. He's given us everything we need. The Spirit of God is in us. We have a hope beyond what we see today. We trust God that the system that we're living in can be turned around. And even if, you know, it says in Scripture, two things are expected. Th darkness will increase and a great harvest will come. So what we believe will take place in these last days. So the expectation is pressure is likely to increase, but God's purposes are also going to be accomplished. And many more brought into the kingdom. How is he going to use us? 
It's not going to become easy overnight. But the Spirit of God in us, he'll enable us to keep pressing on and keep persevering and keep doing his will. We need to do as Daniel did and make our home in Jesus above all else. Why don't you stand? I want to read just uh, one more parable of Jesus. Matthew 7, 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Where are we placing our foundation? Because everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. God's desire for each and every one of us is that we stand even under the pressure, even under, uh, against the world system that is around us. And if we're able to stand, we're able to bring the change. Just as Daniel brought the change, even in that broken and dark city and nation, we're able to do that. It's what we've been called to do. It's what we must do as God's people. We need to build our house upon Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we desire that deep heart connection. We desire communion with you, that intimacy that gives life, that closeness that enables us to go forth, that filling up that enables us to be poured out as we seek to love, as we seek to reach others, we seek to bless others. Lord, we thank you for the spirit that has been poured out upon each and every one of us. Lord, even now we pray, fresh anointing, fresh outpouring is what we need. Let's sing together.